Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com, coming at you during the April international break, which um, at time of recording, and because I don't think our listeners can time travel at the time you're listening to it as well, um, is over. And Arsenal seem to have come through pretty unscathed as far as I know injury-wise um, at the moment. Leo Valti and Manu Zinsberger left their respective international camps for personal reasons, uh, and obviously we don't know the full details of that, but it doesn't look like Arsenal have suffered any injuries. And um, it may not have escaped your notice, they've got some pretty big games coming up um, with Manchester United and Wolfsburg the next two. However, um, we'll have some podcasts kind of looking a bit more ahead um, to those games uh, and the next block coming up. We should have something pretty special for you ahead of the Wolfsburg semi-finals, um, but we thought that it's been a really good block of games for Arsenal. Now, inside the club, they've referred to this as block five, um, which is just after the fourth international break, basically. And it's, it's been a massive block of games for Arsenal with two games against Chelsea, two games against uh, Manche- uh, game against Manchester City, two games against Bayern Munich and North London Derby. And Arsenal have come out of all of that pretty well, even actually losing to Chelsea in the FA Cup, given that they won the Conti Cup. I think that's the best thing for Arsenal because it's given them three weekends ahead of games against Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg. But anyway, we'll get into all of the weeds with that. Um, and we're going to do that with my guest, uh, Art de Rocher, who is uh, one of the Athletics Arsenal correspondents. Art, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. And yeah, as you say, uh, a very good block five for Arsenal women and, and the owner Cedavar. So hopefully that continues into block six. Yeah, and block six is pretty tasty as well because there's games <laughs> against there's another game against Chelsea in there, Chelsea away, there's two games against Wolfsburg, there's Manchester United away, um, which is the next game which is going to be absolutely huge. But before, like I said, this is going to be a bit more of a, one of the things I've learned in my content creation uh, kind of career is that when things are good, people just want to hear and get that kind of, yay, things are good. Let's hear about that kind of content. So Art, just your 
overall kind of thousand foot view of Arsenal, I guess since the Conti Cup final um, against Chelsea, which I think everyone pretty much acknowledges, certainly a turning point in the season for Arsenal, and maybe even a turning point in the Yona side of our project. Yeah, I think that was a really interesting day just because of how it started, really, when <laughs> um, obviously the press box at Selhurst Park, where the game was, is right in front of where Sam Kerr scored. And with that coming inside the opening two minutes, I think it was, you mm. just kind of thought, okay, well, it's just going to go like last week in the FA Cup. But um, I just thought you saw kind of the the inner cogs that have been worked on for the past year or so start to really uh, run in motion. Um, so that, I guess, 10 minute spell after that goal, I think it's just Kim Little basically managing the game for Arsenal single-handedly. And from there, they have a real foothold. And I guess what panned out after that just was really massive mentally more than anything, I think, because we've seen throughout the years, I'll include obviously Joe Montemurro's time in charge in this as well, that Arsenal can play football against most teams in the WSL, including Chelsea and Man City. But there has been a little... It's, I remember speaking to Leah Valti after that game and she is like, so they couldn't really put their finger on what was missing. But I think that game almost gave them that. And it was just that belief, I felt. Um, and you've really seen that in pretty much every game um, since that Conti Cup final, which has been really encouraging to see because, as you say, it's almost as if they kind of almost smashed through that mental block. Um, that's been there for a few years, I'd say, since obviously since they won um, the WSL title in 2019. So, um, yeah, very encouraging. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into, I guess, the finer details of that as we go on. But um, from that afternoon to now, um, it's been great that they've been able to keep that consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um I think it's it's doubly significant that it was Chelsea and it was the final. If they'd gone through to a final and maybe beaten another team, I mean it's always going to be Chelsea and Man City mainly, but I think there's something yeah. about it being Chelsea in particular and the final getting over that. And one of the things I can't remember whether it was in response to one of your questions, but um if not you were definitely in the same press conference. I think after the Bayern second leg where Jonas said um, a good pro, and and this is where again, like you, you cover the men's side as well as the women's side, and sometimes those comparisons are irresistible. And he said, you know, good process can maintain you for the medium term, but sooner or later you need results for the for the belief mm. of the team. And and I think that's that's really really what you've seen here. And I know I've been. I don't know about you, but I've felt for the last 18 months building up to that, that I can see that the process is good. I think Arsenal look like a well-coached team. And in most games, I can tell what they're trying to do. But I, I think Jonas is right that you just some you need that intangible. And, and, and yeah. they've certainly got that. But did you have the same feeling as me? And I've kind of had to defend this a little bit because <laughs> not everyone agrees, which is fine. But did you have that same sense as me that actually the process did look good and therefore 
not felt that this was coming, but felt I said before the final, Arsenal have to win this. I think, yeah, I think it was a real tipping point. If it had gone the other way, I think things could have gone the other way. But is that how you felt? Yeah, it's been really um, almost weird in a way because, um, and I know we've had like um, discussions about this in person rather than like on air in terms of how similar the the men's and women's teams are at the minute. And it just feels like with both teams, you can kind of plot their paths over the past two years or so. Um, There are these moments that stick out as maybe um, lessons that they've learned from or specific themes that have started in a specific game and they've built on that. And um, from the women's side, I think those moments for me are the first times they were really exposed to Champions League football under uh, Jonas Ederval. So the Barcelona games in the group stages last year um, include the FA Cup final against Chelsea at Wembley in that as well. And then obviously the Wolfsburg games too. And you can include the the games uh, in the group stages against Hoffenheim and Koga as well, because those weren't easy, <laughs> easy no. matches if everyone remembers. And it just felt like in those games, Arsenal was shown the benchmark um, in terms of tangibles. Um, I remember that Barcelona game at the Emirates where there was a point in, I can't remember which half it was, but there were nine Barcelona players in the Arsenal half and Arsenal had the ball. And it was just ridiculous. Like they were being stifled. Um, and you can see little tweaks and um, I guess ideas like Jonas um, starting to get the the women's team training with the academy boys last summer, um, just so they have less time to think both on and off the ball. I think that showed pretty much instantly in the WSL first game of the season against Brighton. You saw a real change, I feel, in just one, how high they were defending with Leah Williamson and Afaeli. And also you just saw they're um, setting similar traps to what the first team do as well. So in terms of that, that side of it, I think you could um, clearly see ideas being worked on um, and progress being made. But um, as you say, I think if I was looking at it, I, so before the, um, the Chelsea FA Cup, no, Conti Cup final, sorry, I was probably more just hopeful. Um, I wasn't confident, I would say, um, just because of how that dip in form went. And also it just seemed like, you know, sometimes in football, it just seems like nothing's going to go your way with how many chances they had in the FA Cup game. Um, but yeah, that was a really important day. And I think on going off the back of that, you've just seen them repeat that in certain ways in terms of knowing what to do in certain moments of a game to maybe if you're 1-0 down, get control back. And I know that's been a real kind of point of emphasis for Jonas in his almost two years in charge, um, how Arsenal can control games and control space in games. So it's been um, a really intriguing journey so far that's run quite 
quite parallel to the men's team in a really freaky way. <laughs> yeah, even having like a, a Swiss midfielder who used to be <laughs> always at the base of the midfield, but then started popping up in left midfield. Uh, so you're right, some of the similarities are like almost creepy um, and the increased emphasis on set pieces and, and things like that. But um, one of the things, you know, talking about the Champions League there, again, I know these are questions you've asked Jonas quite a lot. And I think you referred to, kind of referred to it there, something he said to you, I think maybe at the end of last season after the Wolfsburg game, and he was talking about, you know, in the Champions League, you have to be able to change the pace and the tone of the game. Whereas in the WSL, I think he wants, you know, forward, 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 counter-pressing. But in Europe, you can't always do that. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. I think that, I think... The, the Leon result on match day one, that's another one that was just big for the belief of the yeah. team. Um, but even I saw some of that, like when Arsenal beat Juventus 1-0 at the Emirates and they knew once they had the goal, they closed the game down in the last 20 minutes. And, you know, it wasn't pretty, but they did <laughs> it. And, you know, just looking at that Bayern game, I don't know about you, but what really impressed me was when the time came to chase the two goals and put Bayern under pressure, they did it. But then in the second half, even without a player like Kim Little, and we'll come on to this um, in midfield a bit more in a bit, because I know you wrote uh, a good piece about this, but you know, just having that, again, <laughs> invoke the men's team a bit, that pauser, uh, pauser, yeah. as it were, in the game. Like, Is that something that you, you've seen as well, particularly in that Bayern game? Yeah, I so contrast to the Chelsea game, I think going into the Bayern game, I was actually quite confident that they would um, get a result, um, at least take it to extra time. But um, as the game panned out, I think, yeah, you just saw what's really... I think that game is probably if you were going to ask someone or if someone was going to ask you what is the difference between Jonas Ederval's Arsenal and Joe Montemura's Arsenal? You'd show them that first half. And Frieda Marnham's goal pretty much sums up Jonas Ederval's Arsenal in, I think, the perfect way in terms of um, setting traps, forcing Bayern all the way back to their goalkeeper, winning the ball back high. And then it's just pure technical Arsenal football um, mm. for the goal. And... After that, what kind of struck me was, and again, I, I really don't mean to compare to the men's <laughs> team too much, but um, if you look at how the men played in the second half against um, Liverpool on the weekend, it was almost like they kind of accepted the rhythm of the game and just tried to roll with punches. And it's not too dissimilar to how Arsenal have played under Ederval. Uh, at certain points, obviously his first game in charge against Chelsea at the Emirates last season, where there's pretty much like a back eight. <laughs> yeah. um, and, Throwing Simone um, Boy on with 20 minutes to go. And <laughs> he, he said afterwards, sometimes you've just got to accept what your team's telling you. I think he said something yeah. like that. And so I think they have found a way to kind of deal with, um, I guess, rhythm going against them. Uh, and the second half, against Bayern showed that you obviously need uh, luck in certain situations, a ball going maybe a foot wider than it should for the opposition team. But I think they had that game at arm's length. Um, and that you saw that again um, 
when they played uh, City because they just knew what to do in certain moments. And then before we get into like the whole midfield discussion, like obviously it's just interesting that Jonas kind of kept that back five, back three idea in his head and then kind of rolled the dice late in the game rather than starting with that kind of shape because I guess maybe Gareth Taylor would have had a few question marks before the game. But when you switch like that and get um, get a goal so quickly, and they could have had one before they scored as well um, because of Frieda Marnham's movement, um, it, it's just, it just strikes me as someone who understands their team a lot more and the players also understand the manager, the sorry, head coach, a lot more. And I remember before the Bayern first leg, Jonas actually said he he feels like he doesn't have to tell the players uh, that much information anymore. Yeah. And again, that just strikes me as something similar to the, to the men's team, where it just seems like everything is clockwork. Um, when obviously the the main players are on the pitch. Yeah, and like the Gen BT Rob Holding comparison is kind of <laughs> irresistible as well. But yeah, you referenced it there, like against Man City, Arsenal go to the back three for the last 20 minutes. I think you're right. I think there's an, a real element of learning there as well because they did that twice in a week against Man City. And it, it I mean, maybe this is scoreboard journalism to say it worked the first time, it didn't work the second time. It, it, I think that's about right though. I think Arsenal deserved to win that first game and they very much deserve to be beaten the second time. And I think or suspect if Jonas could have his time back, what he might do in that second City game is like he brought Leo Volti on at half time and went to the back four. I wonder if he could have the time back, whether he'd do that in the first half and then go to the back three in the second half. But, mm-hmm. but just having done that, he felt he had the confidence like, okay, we've done this against this opponent before. It worked a bit. It didn't work a bit, but I can do it. And I think you're right. Doing it towards the end of the game doesn't give the other coach time to react. And I'm with you. I I thought that was really, really interesting. And even like bringing Jodie Taylor on as well, Mm. just to, just to go and chase things basically (laughs) um, was, was another interesting development. And one of the things I know he said to me was, a lesson he learned from last season. Um, I asked him about halfway through this season when Leah Williamson and Hafaeli came back into the team. I said, okay, because um, I asked him, like, what are you going to change? Because you've got different centre-backs. And obviously he wouldn't tell me uh, outright. <laughs> so then I asked him again when they came back and I was like, what did you change in your organisation? And he was referencing the Birmingham game last season, which Arsenal lost. And essentially what they did was they had Jen because of injuries they had Jen Beatty and Simone Boy at centre back and they got done by a long ball over the top in the first two minutes and now that's me drawing that connection but he said something I've learned is that if I've got different players I might have to do different things yeah um, and and I think I think you could see that and I think the way he's been using Jen Beatty as well as that kind of Rob Holding like it, it's a small role. But it's it's a significant role, that kind of, we're under the cosh, crosses are coming into the box, you're really good in the air, we're going to put you there to deal yeah. with that and give us that little bit of extra security. I, I, th- I think you're right. I think he's he's learning about the tools he has um, in a much better way. And I, and I think before we kind of look at the Wolfsburg game, I think that's a natural segue into the discussion about the midfield. 
because something yeah. you picked up on both in your both with Jonas and then subsequently in your article was the Man City game without Kim Little. Arsenal were more combative in midfield. It reminded me a little bit of, um, again, a men's game with Man United about 20 years ago where they played Phil Neville in midfield. Now, this might be the only time I ever compare Leah Williamson with Phil Neville, but <laughs> United basically accepted that I, th- I think they were without Roy Keane and I think they basically just accepted okay, we can't control the midfield because Arsenal are really, really good there. So what we're going to do is we're going to be a bit underdog in that area. And I thought it was a really interesting point, and I'm going to let you expand on it now that you picked up on with Jonas about Arsenal being a bit more combative with Lear in midfield and without Kim. Yeah, so I was watching the game. And um, so for those who don't know... um, the way I work is slightly differently. So I, I won't start writing until after after the game and after I've spoken to the head coach slash manager. So during the game, I can kind of just watch rather than looking at my like screen too, too often. So what I was kind of picking up was uh, Yui Hasegawa was just ridiculous um, for pretty much the whole game really um mm-hmm. i thought the thought that went through my mind watching her was why did she have to go there last summer because if you look at the age profile she's probably the the one you'd want to to step into kim little shoes once she's obviously had her time um and it was just simple stuff really simple bounce passes to get around freedom arnhem uh one two touch just to keep the game ticking over for City. And Arsenal couldn't really get to grips with it until I think there was a moment where Leah Williamson was almost like she was just like, forget this, and just cr- crunched into her. And again, it was an early kickoff. It, I don't know if you'd agree with me, Tim, but the Meadow Park just seemed a bit quiet even yeah. before kickoff, I felt. I remember, um, so obviously they do those things like little activities with the crowd before kickoff. And there was a quiz I, wasn't there. Yeah. There was a quiz and the guy with the mic, uh, like prompts the North bank to basically give him a big reaction and there's nothing. He does it again and there's nothing. So it was just quite a flat start to the afternoon. I think that moment really kind of lifted everyone and it still took, that wasn't the moment that changed everything because it still took Arsenal a while to kind of get into the game, I felt. But you just saw that and also the, um, a little tactical timeout where, uh, I don't know, this is just my 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 conclusion. Um, no, Sabrina D'Angelo was definitely yeah. injured, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when, when Sabrina D'Angelo was definitely injured... Um, <laughs> Who knew Jonas Edevar was talking to the team? And afterwards, it just felt like they were pushing up a lot higher um, and um, giving City a few more issues to deal with and just being more aggressive, I felt. And you just saw that battle become or become a lot more equal um, with how both Leah Williamson and Frida Marnham were dealing with Hasegawa, and I know you um, picked out Laura Coombs as the free player as well. So 
um, that was just really, I thought, an interesting battle to to watch unfold. And then, yeah, asking Jonas about it afterwards, he basically said a similar point in terms of, okay, different players, we have to utilise their strengths rather than trying to um, shoehorn them into a role that fits a player who's so unique. I don't think I've seen a player like her other than Leah Volti. And you can't have two Leah Voltis on the pitch at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I just was kind of, I walked away kind of fascinated just from what I'd seen because it wasn't like City played terribly and lost. They, I thought they were of a ridiculous standard and Arsenal matched them in a different way. And I was just really kind of impressed by that because it's not something we've seen too often um, over the years. We've seen Arsenal try and stick to plan A the whole time. And that's when they kind of get unstuck. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting that um, a little difference in approach uh, is what got them over the line. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's two things I'd add to that. First of all, I think the thing with City is they do what they do really well, but they don't have gears. Um, you know, their front three is their front three is their front three. Like they, they don't really have anyone to change things up. And I think it's kind of the same with their midfield. Um, to be honest, it's almost like they're, they're City to me are an 11 rather than a squad. And I think the, the difference with these City games, they should have gone 2-0 up in the first half. That's what yeah. they did when we played them at the Academy Stadium. They were 2-0 up at half-time. So even when Arsenal tweaked, they had their 2-0 lead. And they didn't really do anything after that, but they didn't have to. But this time it was only 1-0. And I think City do struggle when you change gear on them if the game's still in your grasp. I think the other thing to reflect on there is another lesson I think Jonas has learned. <clears throat> Excuse me. I remember asking him after the United game, um, again, we didn't have Kim Little in the home game against United and he brought Jordan Nobbs on in the game before against West Ham and she was brilliant. She scored, she was everywhere. So he played her against United and he didn't mention Jordan by name, but he said he played her in midfield and basically in the first half, Arsenal didn't have any control over midfield. And he said to me afterwards, I think the thing I've learned and again, he didn't mention any names, but he said, I, I think I've learned that I can't take for granted. Sometimes he's, his exact phrase was, sometimes you lose a player, you lose your whole team. Um, mm-hmm. and, and essentially, I think what he was getting at was he was trying to do the same things with Jordan Nobbs in midfield that he'd do with Kim Little in midfield. And again, he changed that that day. And I think that's another kind of element of Arsenal's growth. But staying in that kind of midfield area, I guess... Myself and uh, Clive um, on the Arsenal Vision podcast, we talked about this and he'd been at the Bayern game and he said that in a weird way, Kim going off worked for Arsenal. Well, not so much Kim going off, but Leah going into midfield because what Arsenal needed was intensity. Um, yeah. And and Kim, like the way I'd, I'd completely like very simplistically, oversimplistically phrase it, you referenced the Conti Cup final when the temperature of the game needs to come down, there's no one better than Kim Little. And the temperature of that mm. game needed to come down. But when it needs to come up, like it did against Bayern, I think Leah's a good a good kind of uh, good midfielder to have. But does that give you any anxiety going forward that perhaps we don't have that ability, to, especially looking ahead to this Wolfsburg game, the ability to bring the temperature down when we need to? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I guess it comes down to do you do you Jonas? <laughs> um, do I'm sure he's listening with, and taking yeah, notes. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> do you? What kind of approach do you feel would suit you better in the game? Like, I don't want to do this again, but <laughs> I have to. It's it's very similar to me in my eyes to the Martinelli Trossard kind of debate dilemma. Mm-hmm. Do do you want to be fast paced, intense, electric from minute or from second one, or do you want to have more, probably less intense control, but over yeah. a longer period of time? And um, I guess for me, uh, I if it was me, I'd kind of feed into that intensity from the start and then may, may try and look at another way of them bringing it down. Um, so, yeah, I know I'm not the head coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> not yet. But, uh, n- not yet, not yet. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the way I'd look at it. I'd try and just um, feed off the strengths you have in your starting 11 as much as possible and then almost look to contain after that. Um, so yeah, I, what would maybe be, yeah, a worry, maybe I'm not sure if wor- worry is the, the right word cause it seems a bit too extreme. Um, but something to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Basically how, how do Arsenal kind of bring the game into their their own kind of flow um, if it does get a, t- a bit too intense. Um, I'm not sure without Kim Little. Um, I guess it just comes down to maybe shape as well. Like, do you do, you do what you did against Manchester City? Because then you have, I guess, a bit more control further back. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's a way around it, kind of starting... starting uh, in a kind of rock and roll sense, mm. and then you kind of switch it and try and take your focus elsewhere. Maybe that's the way around it. Yeah. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail23. Shopify.com slash retail23. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Yeah, yeah, and like the Wolfsburg, looking at the Wolfsburg Champions League quarterfinal last year, like of, of that tie, Wolfsburg had three of the four halves, basically. They started very strongly at the Emirates. Arsenal came back into it a, a lot by just raising the intensity. Um, and then in the, the second leg, they got beaten up because Wolfsburg, and, and this is where it could play to our advantage because Kim Little did play the second leg against Wolfsburg. I'm not sure that when the game gets like that, like where they're pressing you everywhere, I mean, she's very press resistant, but like I say, sometimes when you need to raise the temperature of the game and Arsenal Mm. couldn't do that, of course, they were without Leah Valti for that second leg, which I think was significant as well. And maybe having Leah, um, you know, could could be favourable for that, but particularly because this time the first leg's away and the second leg's at home and the second leg's going to be in front of a possibly full... Emirates Stadium, yep. and I think even having 20,000 for that buy-in game was significant in in kind of yep. playing into the energy of that team. So I'm not taking anything for granted because I know how good Wolfsburg are and they're probably slight favourites for this semi-final. But do you get the feeling with, even with the injuries really, with all the development we've talked about, that Arsenal are in a better position to take on Wolfsburg than they were a year ago? So if... It's, it's really strange because we talk about all this development, as you say, and I won't say, I was about to say a lot, but if that's probably not too accurate. Um, the recent kind of steps have all been taken without their two most prolific players. I won't say best players because mm-hmm. um, uh, I think that would be a bit, harsh on on some of the team um and you just see i guess it's come down to foundation building i'd i that's the way that i'd put it and i think their foundation is a lot stronger uh this this today than it was this time last year um because as we've spoken about they've got different ways of approaching games now they're a lot more secure in their plan A. Um, and also they faced more problems than they did a year ago um, that they've had to solve. So I think a lot of the kind of setup and makeup is, is stronger. Um, it's just whether, I think particularly without Beth Mead and Vivian Miedemar, it most times it just comes down to how clinical they are on the day. Mm. And I guess the best showcase of that is the week where they played Chelsea in their FA Cup and then in the Conti Cup final. Um, I think that's quite a nice 
duality of Arsenal women, <laughs> if you if yeah, you yeah, like. Yeah. Um, it was because... a, it was more or less the same performance twice, mm. but in one game they scored their chances, and the other they didn't. That's yeah, more or less the way I look at it. Yeah, so I think they, if you're looking at them, just look at it from an Arsenal perspective. I wouldn't be too. Um, I wouldn't have an inferiority complex going into that game, which I think uh, maybe would have been there from an observer's point of view going into the Wolfsburg game last year. Yeah, yeah. And you, and again, you talked about it there about um, the kind of Arsenal having a, a better fund, like better fundamentals um, probably. And I, I wrote an article last week where I kind of posited a bit of a theory that um, although Arsenal have certainly in the WSL, they've certainly lost points because of the players they've lost. Um, I still think in the long run they'll be better. Um, like it's almost like the small picture stuff, mm-hmm. like Chelsea at home when we dominate, but it's one-one, and West Ham away when it's nil-nil, and clearly you put Viv and Beth into both those games, you yeah. win at least one of them, probably even both of them. And then you're probably looking at winning the league and, you know, losing Hafer and Leah, that definite and, and Kim for the United home game, that definitely cost us that game. But I actually feel like for the development of the team and the squad, and again, when we think of this time last year, when it was the same 11 every week, but actually that yeah. continuity worked for Arsenal at the time. But I, I don't know. Basically, I'm just going to ask you whether you agree that actually in the long run and maybe for next season and the season after, these experiences will will make Arsenal like a tactically sounder team. Yeah, I, I think it's a point that has um, weight, especially if you look at, I guess, their journey so far um, and the stuff we spoke about earlier in terms of plotting the path of their progress. I think a lot of where they are now is because of their shortcomings last year, like the Barcelona game where, they were just shown what's what, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think there have been moments, and again, sp- spoken to Jonas about this at different points in the past couple of years in regards to shared experiences. And I think that, as well as not just injured players staying at home for games, but actually being in the changing rooms at the games, understanding the the context of these moments as well, rather than experiencing them for a screen helps massively. So mm. um, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a, a valid point. Um, you just, what question is in my mind is how do they all gel back together um, once those players are available again? Um, because we can see clearly what the plan is at the moment, but how does that dynamic kind of change once everything's back to normal for people who are listening? (laughs) I did the the air quotes sign because I don't know, maybe it doesn't go back to a normal because how do you drop Frida Marnham when she's played how she's played this season? Um, And yeah, there's just loads of question marks, but not bad question marks really. Yeah, I like I still have some questions about recruitment in that sense like yeah, what do we do about Frida and Viv as te- like it's one thing having yeah. depth, right? But sometimes like 
not that you can have too much depth, but you're right. How, like how that that's that's on the problem side, I think. And also yeah. like that's Victoria Pelova's preferred position. We're seeing her play wide, and I think she's great there. Um, I think she could certainly go into the wide rotation um, because you know you really want four wingers. Um, I think so. Even when Beth comes back and Pelova can play both sides, so I, I don't have as many concerns over her. Um, yeah. In particular, but I think you're right. There's all the, there's a lot of stuff to come out in the wash um, yeah. when players come back. But to to end, I want to ask um, actually about something that th- this is one of the things I'm most interested in. Right, is the the two goalkeepers, the goalkeeper situation? <laughs> because I remember one of the things I I used to talk to Joe about a lot was that Joe liked having two goalkeepers in Pauline Perry-Manion and uh, Sar- and sorry, and Manu Zinsberger. And essentially his reasoning was about possession because Pauline Perry-Manion had better long distribution. So his idea was when teams pressed and you need to go over the top of the press, you use Pauline. If teams sit off and you need a pass, you play Zinsberger. And that was Joe's idea. And I asked um, Jonas, it was one of the first questions I ever asked him about the goalkeeping situation and he said, I, I understand Joe's idea, but I prefer a solid number one. And mm-hmm. I think you've seen Manu improve as a result of that. But now he, he seems to have gone into Joe territory because he signed Sabrina D'Angelo, who essentially, from my early, I don't think there's much difference in the ability between these two mm-hmm. goalkeepers, but I think they're drastically different types of goalkeeper and he went with Sabrina D'Angelo against City, a team who crossed the ball more than any other team in the WSL. Um, you know, and and a team who press high as well. And I think that's really interesting and really significant. What have you made of I guess Sabrina D'Angelo as a signing, but that kind of and Zinsberger signed a new contract, or at least they've triggered the extra year yeah. in Zinsberger's contract. I'm I'm speculating. I'm not sure how much that was because she really, really wanted to or because some kind of clause has been met and, and the club have decided to trigger it. I don't really know. But what do you make of both Sabrina D'Angelo so far and, and this kind of goalkeeper situation developing? Yeah, for me, um, quite similar to the whole squad, really. It's been a, a pleasure, I'd say, to watch uh, the growth of Manu um, because I think when when she first signed everyone was like, oh, she's kind of got at least a, one of those moments in her, basically. But mm-hmm. as as the seasons have gone on, and I remember speaking to her last season, and she said a big reason for her improvement was her English was better. So, so she could actually speak to Leah Williamson properly and they can actually communicate well. Um, but also you've just seen, I guess, the confidence as well in terms of goalkeeping the saves that she's been making, I think she's been a player Arsenal have relied on heavily um, in the past year or so. Uh, obviously got the golden glove last year as well. Um, but in terms of the, I guess, more recent developments in terms of Sabrina uh, D'Angelo coming in, it's quite, again, strange the way the world works because when, when Jonas came in, he made a very big thing about not changing too much um, mm. from from taking over from Joe. Um, so kept a lot of the backroom staff the same. Um, even the playing style, yes, he, he made his own mark on it, but there was still a lot of Montemuro 
kind of themes there. So to kind of revert back to that at this point, I think it just speaks to the need for variation, um, which, again, we've talked about at length in terms of how the team play overall. But when you look at that goalkeeping uh, situation, the game that sticks out for me, um, if we look back to Joe's final season, uh, I don't know if you remember the Manchester United away game. Um, yeah. No, oh, no, sorry, lost. the home game. The uh, home we game, won 2-0, yeah. Yeah, I think Jill Raw scored in the first minute or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember it just stuck out to me that Zinsberger was hitting the fullbacks all the time. Yep. And it just struck me as something that wasn't usual um, for her to do. And I guess at that point, it would have been Lydia Williams, who was her... Um, Deputy, I guess you'd call it, um, and obviously the the gap between them was probably a bit too much to just rotate in that big of a game. So now I see it as basically, yeah, whichever player suits the game best, they will get the nod. And I think that's a really encouraging kind of step because, um, yes, you can call it. Um, competition uh but also i just think it is uh another way of looking at your squad and looking at a position which people take for granted most of the time um and as you say i think stop uh shot stopping wise they're both of a similar level um i mm. know arsenal fans have already <coughs> taken to um D'Andro, like insanely quickly. Um, <laughs> having, a good, having a good song helps. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see how they kind of share their their minutes, not just this season, but next as well. Um, but I personally don't have a problem with it. Um, and it doesn't seem like they do either, which I think is probably the most important thing. Um, obviously, Arsenal have signed two goalkeepers this season um one in the summer one in the winter so i guess maybe it just um is another question mark of what happens to uh, mccursey but um, yeah i think that yeah. was probably a stopgap signing because sabrina came from sweden and their season ends in yeah. november so you kind of have to sign those players in january so my impression is that kalen was was probably yeah. a bit of a stopgap but yeah that that united game you reference under joe montemoro um, the lowest possession we ever had under Joe Montemoro in a game. The only time Arsenal had a red card uh, under Joe <laughs> Montemoro. Also, I really? believe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I believe the only time that every single corner um, went into the six-yard box under Joe. No short corners that night. So <laughs> you're right. That was an unusual Joe Montemoro game where they did what they had to to get the result. Um, essentially, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I I thought it was one of Joe's good ideas. Um, I really liked mm-hmm. when he explained it to me, um, and I, I do kind of like that return um, to it. I have to say, and Sabrina D'Angelo as well. She's bidding to be Canada's number one. She hasn't come to mess around. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I I agree. I think that's a that's a positive development. But Art, um, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much uh, for joining us again. And we will have you on again very soon. Cheers. Thanks for having me. And I hope everyone has a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. And um, 
And like I said, at the top of the show, we will have plenty of stuff coming up in the next kind of definitely ahead of the Wolfsburg game. So we've got something a bit special. I don't know exactly when it will come out, but it will come out ahead of the Wolfsburg semi-final. We'll have a very, very good podcast uh, for you looking ahead to that game with with kind of various guests as well. Um, and so we will be very much in touch with you, um, both in audio sense and the written sense and the video sense as well, because Jason, our videographer, should be at the Wolfsburg semi-final second leg. There are still tickets available for that at time of recording. I think we're close to 40,000 tickets sold. Club level is sold out. And I think the club um, really deserve credit for the job they've done marketing that game. Not least, I think, very crucial that they put the tickets on sale the second the final whistle went against Bayern Munich, which you know took a lot of work and it might have been fruitless work had Bayern Munich got a late <laughs> goal. But... They did it and they sold 8,000 tickets in the first 24 hours and that's really created a momentum. I think the way Arsenal have, have marketed those games at the Emirates this year, um, particularly the the bigger games, has, has been really, really good. Um, but nevertheless, there are still tickets available. If you haven't bought them yet, um, I advise that you do. It's a Champions League semi-final, second leg. It It's going to be massive. Um, so be there for a bit of history. But uh, like I said, we'll talk to you in more detail, focusing on the Wolfsburg game with some storied and illustrious guests. But until then, take it easy and we will speak to you probably next week. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/retail23. shopify.com/retail23.